Acts chapter 17. When it comes to singing and praising the Lord, we should always try to do our best, but we should never slip into the mindset that somehow it's a performance. It's not a performance. I would rather a song service be a little bit rough and a little bit off and be from the heart for the Lord, not for us, and lack a little bit of polish than for us to strive towards polish and perfection where now it's really meant to impress each other. It's meant to impress others and ourselves. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, Acts 17. Proclaim. To proclaim the message. This is what God's called us to do as a church. This is what God's called us to do as individuals, to preach the gospel to every creature. This is known as the Great Commission. It's recorded five different times in the New Testament. We're not going to go to those passages, but what we're going to see is we're going to look at a story where the Apostle Paul goes to a city that is still in existence today, Athens, Athens, Greece, and he goes to a particular point in the city, which was called Mars Hill. Again, it's still there today. And we're going to see what happens when someone goes to a city where no one believes in Christ as of yet. And he proclaims the message. We're going to see what God does. We're going to look in Acts 17. And verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, or at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. We'll get into the rest of the passage here in just a moment. We'll pray and we'll begin. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I pray that you'd help us to see the result of when your word is preached to a people who have not yet heard. Lord, help us to learn from this story. May our faith grow in being a church here in Toronto that is willing to obey you in that of proclaiming the gospel. Father, in proclaiming the gospel, there can be a lot of doubt. There can be a lot of fear. And in getting involved with world missions, it can be difficult. 
to separate from our money and to ask someone to go to a foreign country and to there proclaim the gospel. And Lord, help us to see this one snapshot of when someone obeys your command to proclaim. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Mars Hill story. Athens, arguably at this time, was the most advanced city in its day. In regards of art, architecture, education, and philosophy. At this time, the Greek philosophies had been there for at least 800 years. You consider how long Canada's been around, okay? So it just in that regard, right? Greece had been doing the philosophy thing for a long time. They were experts at it. Discovering reason, talking about why things uh, were, uh, why they were the way they were. And even being able to talk about uh, and divide them up into different schools of thought. And they actually had schools of philosophy there. They would have different leaders and different teachers. And people would travel there from all over the world and they would come, or at least from the known world. And they would come and they would, and they would learn. And we can see where the actual culture of the city, as it describes it for us here, was that the thing that they occupied themselves the most with was either to, as it says in verse number 21, they spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And here comes Paul and he is traveling and he is just supposed to be going there for a layover. Essentially, it's a layover. It's a traveling layover, right? And he begins to observe the city. Now, Paul was an educated man. He was a cultured man. He had been brought up. He was extremely intelligent. He was familiar, as we'll see in just a moment, with Greek philosophy. And yet when we see here, we see here the heart of a Christian, where when he's in this foreign place, his primary concern was not to learn more philosophy. His primary concern was not to go and look at the architecture. His primary concern was for the spiritual need that was there in this city of Athens. And so we can see where we could see here with Athens being the way that it was that some of the arguments that maybe we hear could also be found there. Now let's look once again at uh, verse number 16. It says, now Paul waited for them at Athens. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So this was a very idolatrous a very idolatrous city, okay? Uh, other writings from that time describe the city of Athens as that it was easier to find a god there or an idol there than it would be to find a man. Essentially, there were so many different idols and different gods and different altars and, and animals constantly being slaughtered. It was very, very idolatrous. It was a town that was given to worship. It was a town that was where uh, everything, was, everything was there in regards to religion. Now we can see the idolatry was there. We can also see that the Jewish synagogue was there, right? So the truth was there in the fact that they worshiped, there was a place of worship for Jehovah God. Verse 18, certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, now Epicureans would be more of kind of the, the uh, hedonism where it's just kind of like, 
live for the pleasure, just do whatever you want, everything's fine. God, the God, uh, the gods are kind of like us, and so just live for the now. And then the Stoics were that which is more of like self-discipline. Uh, and the thing is, is that there would be again, there would be schools where people would go and they would teach them. This is the way you should live your life. Now, they would learn these philosophies, but then also they would go and they would worship at these, uh, all these different temples and, and at these different altars. Okay. But we could see that some of the objections that we have today possibly could have been said to Paul when he was there, when he was starting to preach Christ. They could say something like religion is a cultural thing. Uh, and so each one is equally valid. Right. Some people try to tell us that today they should say, oh, each one should follow their own religion because they're basically the same anyway. Right. This was a town of many religions. Can we identify with that today? Does that resonate with us as Torontonians? Of course, man, uh, is there I, I don't know if there is a religion in the world that isn't here in some way. Okay. Uh, possibly they could say, uh, how can a loving God send people to hell when he gets to the part about judgment in his sermon? How can God send people to hell who haven't heard the gospel? They could possibly say something like that as well. Now, in our culture with secular humanism, we worship humanity as the highest life form. We don't necessarily have altars set up around the city where everybody just kind of goes and does a, does a quick worship on their way to work. Generally speaking, in this society, even though some people individually do have their own religion or their family has their religion, and we're not supposed to talk about it, that's kind of the way everybody is trying to make it sound, right? Um, everybody kind of has their own thing going, all right? And, um, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's almost to the point where like, let's not recognize anything higher than, than just humanity. Humanity is the highest we're not really going to, it's controversial to look any higher than us, right? As a whole. And we could see that we're possibly in this particular culture, it would be something that would be similar to that, where there's just a, an abundance of beliefs and very strong culture that's going on there. Some people even want to say religion has lost its purpose. We are modern and technologically advanced. We live in the age of science now. Uh, that's completely silly. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, uh, even though some people say that, most people don't believe that anymore. So we can see why proclaim. Why did Paul come here and why did he proclaim? What did he do? It says in verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Isn't it interesting that when he saw the idolatry of the city, he immediately goes to the synagogue. He doesn't go to Mars Hill right away. First, he goes to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was the place where Jewish people would worship Jehovah God. They would read the scriptures. So we know the Jewish people would be there. But then there would also be those who were seeking. There would be converts. Gentiles that would convert to Judaism, they would be there. There would be people that would come and they maybe they had grown tired of uh, the idolatry in the city or maybe it didn't answer their questions. And so then they would come and they would come here. And so he started in proclaiming the message of Christ in the place where people were the most familiar with the message of, of, of the Messiah. 
Now look at chapter, the same chapter, look at verse number uh, one. It says, now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Now this is in another town, but it describes in verse two what Paul would normally do when he would go to a town. And it describes that for us here. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. Now, listen, we need to speak the message of Christ to those who are familiar with it. We need to talk to those who are familiar with it. We need to speak it to our children that are here in the church. We need to preach it uh, as I'm doing now in the church. We need to preach it to those who may have some kind of a religious background, who may fall under the, the big umbrella of that of Christianity. There are many, many Catholics here in the city, okay, and they, they, they have an understanding, somewhat of an understanding of Christianity, somewhat of an understanding of Jesus, somewhat of a familiarity with some of these things. And we can see this was the example that Paul set for us. It's also interesting to know that Paul went to his own people. He went to the Jews. He was a Jewish man. Now we know that he was learned uh, and he was educated in Greek philosophy as well, as well as other things. But he went to his own people group. Listen, there are people that you can reach that have the same background as you that are much more difficult for me to reach or much more difficult for someone else to reach. But they will understand you because you understand their background. You know how to explain it to them. It would be more difficult in this particular case. It would take much more work for a Gentile believer to go into the synagogue and for them to explain what, what Paul explained. Could they do it? Yes. Uh, could they study and they, could, and they could learn to do it? Yes. Does God want them to witness to unsaved Jews? Yes. But we can see here where Paul was uniquely equipped to speak the truth to his own countrymen, to those of his own language. He knew the way they thought. Guys, listen. When we're talking about proclaiming the gospel, we need to know that God has uniquely equipped each and every Christian to speak to somebody. We should preach the gospel to every creature. That's what the Bible commands us to do. That command is given to the church. We're not meant to preach the entire, we're not meant to preach the gospel individually to every creature. Thank God we're not tasked with that impossible task, right? That's something that's been given to the church, but we can see the example of Paul in proclaiming the message of Christ. He went to those who had the same background. You know a language that perhaps others don't know. I promise you, you do. Some of you know many languages that others may not know. You understand the cultural background. Or maybe even people who are not specifically from your country, but you understand maybe the regional thing or maybe that side of the world. You understand and, and it could be that God has placed somebody in your life. God has put somebody in your work. God has put somebody in your family 
And you are uniquely qualified because you understand how to give them the gospel in a way that is not confusing to them. Everybody comes from a background. We can see here with the Jewish people that he explained to them from the perspective that Jesus was the Messiah. And he used the Old Testament scriptures. Now we're going to see here in just a moment for the philosophers in Athens, he didn't do this. Do we see that? We'll see it in just a moment. He doesn't, he doesn't take out the Old Testament scriptures and preach to them about the Messiah. They have no idea who the Messiah is. They didn't know anything about the Old Testament scriptures. Oh, brother, you saying we shouldn't use the scriptures when we witness? That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm trying to say is that it's important for us when we witness to people to try to do our best to understand where they're coming from. Where are they coming from? Pastor, why do you always talk so much about secular humanism? Why do you talk so much about being an atheist? Why do you talk so much about uh, not, not having any religion? Because the vast majority in Toronto, that's, that's where they're coming from. Even though they may claim to be a Catholic, even though they may claim to be this or that, if they've grown up in the school system here in the GTA, the Canadian school system, they are not taught that religion is something that is to be preferred. They're taught in the school system that religion is something that causes problems in the world. So if you want to be a good person, keep it quiet. Am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth. Okay? So it's important for us as Christians within this context to consider where is this person coming from when we're sharing the gospel? We can see where Paul does that. And then he does, and then he changes his approach when he goes to and he begins to talk to these philosophers and these people who were talking to him about his message. Okay? Now it says in verse number 17, it says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So he's talking about the synagogue with the Jews, with the devout persons. That could mean uh, those people who were de- uh, devoted to Judaism, right? They're in the synagogue and they're listening. And then it talks about him going to the marketplace. Now, this is an interesting part about the culture at this particular time. When people, including these uh, Greek philosophers, it was very common for them to go to the marketplace where people would shop and get their daily things, right? Where people would congregate for those of different philosophies to stand up and for them to explain their philosophy and to try to convince people, right? To try to convince people, uh, for example, uh, Stoicism. You should follow the beliefs of the Stoics because that is what will give you the best life. Or the Epicureans, okay? And of all of the different schools in Greek philosophy. And so it was very common for them to do this and they would stand up and they would basically give a speech, right? In the marketplace. That's what Paul was doing. He was following the culture. He was presenting the truth in a way that in that culture was a way that they would normally encounter new ideas. I wonder how is it in the modern world nowadays that we encounter new ideas? How do we find new ideas? How do we get, how does the how does, how does the GTA, how do we get new ideas presented to us? There's a couple of ways. One, primarily, is through the internet. That's why we're online right now. 
Hmm? Put the message out there, right? How many of you have ever taken a suggestion of a new place to eat or a new coffee shop just from a friend? Hands up. There we go. Okay, some of you just don't go out to eat. I get it. That's fine. By the way, the camera's pointed at me, not at you. Of course, you've got a good trusted friend that says, hey, this is a really good spot. You're going to love it. It's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, maybe next time we're, we're looking, we're thinking, and then, and then you remember. Oh, this person, yeah, they said it was over here, there, and then I like, call them up. Hey, what was that place again? Oh, don't, hey, no worries. I'll text you the location. Thank God for texting locations. Thank God we don't have to do the carrier pigeons anymore and all the directions. Are you kidding me? Like on a piece of paper? What? Huh? Yeah, for sure. Recommendation. Guys, look. Hey, how about we use our social media accounts and the influence we have, whatever influence we have online, not to lift ourselves up. Say, look at me. I'm amazing. It's not wrong to take a selfie. It's not what I'm saying. But in a way that communicates to the world, it's like, hey, let's talk about the Lord. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have people in your life, you have friends in your life, and I know many of you do this, and that's why it's so easy to preach this. That God has given us relationships and people in our life that like we can... We can uh, recommend a restaurant or, or a new place or, or, hey, I just found this out or, hey, we just had a great time doing this new activity. We have people in our life and one of the ways that we can introduce these new ideas and they're receptive is just through the personal relationships that we have. And also, it's not a bad idea for us to be willing to make new personal relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. Boy, it's so quiet. You know when it's super quiet in a church? That means one of two things. One, everybody is asleep, which I see your eyeballs and so you're not. Okay? Blink, blink. Two, when it's really quiet, that's what I like to call a silent amen. It means God's working in your heart. And you're like, hmm, that's kind of convicting. Yeah, me too, because I'm preaching this and I'm not the example here. I'm not the perfect example. Christ is the perfect example. But it's amazing to see that when Paul just gave it a try, sometimes we think, you know what? If I was the apostle Paul, it'd work for us too. Now, here's the thing. Paul was following the simple command of Christ to just proclaim the gospel, to just get it out there. Well, I'm not a preacher. Well, oh, that's, that is true in the sense you may not be a pastor of a church or you may not be called to, to, to proclaim uh, and, and lead in that particular way. But every one of us is called to be a witness and how do we get the truth out? Well, we can use platforms where we have a voice, relationships where we have a voice, places and things where people routinely are able to uh, uh, receive new information. And let's look for those ways where people get new information and where people are looking, right? And, and let's use those types of platforms to get the message out. Pastor, I've got an idea of a new way to get the gospel out. Man, come tell me. Let's work together. Let's figure this out. Well, it may cost a little bit of money. Guess what? That's okay. That's one of the reasons why we give our tithes and offerings is so that we can together get the gospel out. So as he's doing this in the marketplace, the leaders 
of these, of these philosophies come and they say, hey, we want to talk to you. Now, he'd been doing this for days. Notice that he didn't give up. Notice that he didn't say, okay, I, I presented the gospel one time. They've had enough of it now. How, how often must we hear the gospel before we take it seriously? Think back to yourself. How many times you heard it before you took it seriously and, and after you started taking it seriously and you really started considering it before you actually got saved? I thought, I'm, I'm a church, grown up in church. I'm a church kid, right? I heard the gospel since I was a tiny kid. But then from the point where God really started working on my heart to the time I got saved, it was at least a year, if not longer. Well, we go out and we put stuff on doors and nobody ever comes. Nobody ever gets saved. Uh, Look, we can't give up. We've got to proclaim. We don't know how many times. In the marketing world, they say that the general rule of thumb is somebody has to encounter your message seven times. They've got to see the advertisement. They've got to see the, uh, or the, the, the poster advertisement. They've got to see the jingle on TV. They've got to see the, the pop-up on your, on your Instagram. They've got to, you, you've got to have a word of mouth. You've got to have this. You've got to have this and that and this. Seven times before somebody's willing to try. Okay, yeah, finally. I don't think this town's heard the gospel seven times yet. At least we haven't been able to do that quite yet. Okay, so there's hope. <laughs> we, we need to keep working at it. What happens when we proclaim the gospel? The Mars Hill story. It says verse 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They were curious. They were interested. Listen, there are people in your life that are curious and interested. They want to know. They want to know why you are a Christian. Why do you believe? Why do you go to church? Why do you do these things? Why do you have hope? They're curious and they want to know. Proclaiming the message, not being ashamed of the gospel, doesn't mean you're obnoxious. That's, we're not talking about being obnoxious. We're talking about not being ashamed. We're, we're talking about, we're not ashamed to be seen with Christ, so to speak. Oh, if I do that, they're going to know I'm a Christian. And then maybe you should do it. Maybe you should do it. We get into the message next. Verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now, it's very interesting to see his message here. And we can learn this in in the task of proclaiming the gospel. Because he's polite. He's not nasty. Okay? Okay. But he also has the boldness to tell them the truth. You guys ever had to take cough medicine? Now, Buckley's has got to be the worst thing ever invented. Right? That horrible, nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. But then there's the other stuff like the tylenol kind of a stuff that's just like cherry flavor. Does it really taste like a cherry? It really doesn't taste like a cherry. And they've got a bunch of different flavors now, berries and cherries. And, and it's still kind of bleh, right, when you have to take it because you're coughing so bad. You've just got to take some cough medicine. But at least they're trying. 
right? I mean, at least it's like, okay, it's kind of, it doesn't really taste like a cherry, but it's, it's kind of cherry-ish, right? At least they're trying to be kind. Guys, look, we can kind of take this approach from the Apostle Paul when he's presenting the gospel to people. He's still giving them the medicine, but he's trying to make it cherry flavor. He's being polite. And notice what he, he, what he starts out with. He starts and he starts talking about what he observes. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I pass by, by the way, too superstitious means everything is spiritual. Everything is spooky and everything is spiritual. There's always a spooky, spiritual, unknown, mysterious reason why everything happens. There's a lot of cultures that are like that. In Canada, we don't necessarily worry about that side. We completely ignore the fact that there's even a supernatural world. Nothing is, nothing is supernatural. Right? Everything has a natural explanation. No, we, there isn't. Explain the natural reason why there's we prefer love just the feeling hey, you don't know am i right did you guys understand that that was good right hmm? and not to get into all this but what i'm trying to say here is that we can just pick up on some things paul paul picked up on the fact that they were too superstitious then he gets into the message of christ Verse 23, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. He's like, hey, I know about God. Let me tell you about God. Okay. Now, isn't it interesting when it talks about the approach of him proclaiming the gospel, he gets into the gospel here in just a moment when he gets down towards the end, but he's kind of going to go on. I observed this about your worship and you're too superstitious, but he starts with God. He doesn't start with the Messiah. Do we see the difference? Okay. Why? Because this is where they're coming from. He's, he, he's not. Try- Sometimes we are not effective in our witness because we are trying to force them to come from a perspective that they just don't understand. Those of us who have grown up in church, we understand the truth in a certain particular way. And if we're going to be an effective witness in our life, we have to be willing to look at something through their eyes and say, how would they view this? And Paul says, in order for me to arrive at the gospel of Jesus Christ, first I've got to discuss that they already have spiritual beliefs. And I'm going to talk to them about how God is not a a person that can be formed and made He's not like us in that regard, okay? He's much bigger than that. So he begins to just make a basic explanation of God. And then he talks about how Jesus was approved by God and put forth by God. And he died on the cross for our sin. They understood the sacrifice thing, okay? But we can see here where this is just a beautiful template to help us understand in proclaiming the gospel. Pastor, I've been trying to witness to this person and they just don't get it. You ever been there? Why? Well, sometimes it's repetition. Repetition. Guys, 
Don't be weary in well-doing. We shall reap if we faint not. Keep on witnessing and keep on praying. But the second thing is we have to be willing to observe and ask questions. What do you believe? How do you see this issue? Well, I don't think the Bible can be trusted. Okay, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. Oh, pastor, I don't know anything about that. Maybe you should. Well, I need to hear six sermons on it. Okay, maybe. But I'll tell you what, I could recommend some awesome books that are super easy to understand that would equip you to be able to answer your friend's questions. Ah, if it's reading, that's kind of icky. I don't really do that. Look, maybe it's time for us to grow a little bit past our comfort zone and be willing to educate ourselves and equip ourselves so that we can have compassion on other people. It's easy. Listen, it would be easy for Paul to just kind of go to the Jews, even though he's called to the Gentiles. Right? I mean, he gets it. There's not a whole lot of work that's necessary. And yes, he went to school for the other, but the fact was that he was willing to look at things from their perspective. He's asking questions. He's observing. And he's willing to tell them the truth. Sometimes we can be so polite, we never get around to the truth on one hand. On the other hand, sometimes we can be really nasty about it. And it turns people off because we're nasty. Well, they were mean to me. Come on. Them getting saved and their salvation is more important than you winning that argument because they were nasty. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. No, pastor, that's not easy. I know. I'm I'm with you on that. It's not easy turning the other cheek and taking that nasty comment or that uh, or that false accusation. Verse 24 says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, For to dwell on all the faces. Now he's there's so much. There's this is so rich, and we don't have time to go through every little tiny thing. But we can see where he's telling them. Look, there aren't. God doesn't see different classes of people. Thank God. Christianity is not about different classes of people. God sees us all as one. We're either saved or we're lost, but He sees us all as one. This church is an awesome representation of God's love. Churches are, if, churches are supposed to represent the city, whatever city they're in. The church is supposed to be as diverse as the city is diverse. Amen, pastor. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's right. It's good. So that means everybody needs it. Everybody needs it. Verse 27. 
that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You know, one of the things that we can talk about to people as lost people, he's talking to lost people here, to seek after the Lord. You know how many atheists pray to God? I don't have a number for you. But in reading books about how to witness to atheists, they're like, yeah, tell them. (laughs) You don't believe in God? Try talking to them. Now, they, in front of your face, they may say, oh, that's silly. I'm not going to try that. But in that private moment, when those deep, deep questions, hey, you don't have to take my word for it that he's real. You ask him for yourself. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Telling lost people to seek after God and going to him in faith and praying to him and coming to him and saying, I I don't believe in you, but would you show me if you're real? Guys, this this is a great ally for the soul winner here. There's something in the heart of every person. In the passage, he's saying, we're all made the same here, guys. We've all got this deep-seated desire to connect with God, to find our true purpose, and to find out who we truly are. We can encourage people, seek after God. You have questions? Ask Him. And when God begins to answer their questions and show them the truths that they long for, then it is God that is converting them to Himself. He's the one that's doing the saving. Oh man, I just keep witnessing this person and they just, they just keep on. Encourage him. Why don't, you, why don't you seek the Lord? God promised if you seek the Lord, then he'll be found. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being as, also, as certain also of our, your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He knew a little bit of their philosophers and a little bit of their poets. It's interesting how many, how many other religions and how many other philosophies of life can speak truth about God and about Jesus sometimes. And it's not a bad idea if you know somebody's of a certain background to try to research their religious background so that you can quote somebody that they respect about God. It's not a bad idea at all. Verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent, to repent, to change your mind, to change your direction, to allow this truth, to change your belief into trusting in Christ. Verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Now, here we're getting into the fact that everybody's going to be judged. There's going to be judgment day for everybody. Okay? Sometimes as soul winners, we want to talk about hell. That is true. Let's talk about judgment day. It seems like gospel preachers in the Bible talked a whole lot more about judgment day than they ever did about hell. It's not wrong to preach on hell. It's not wrong to tell people you're either going to heaven or hell. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what the Bible says. But judgment day is the fact that you're all going to be called into account. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before either the judgment seat of Christ or the great, the, the great, 
the great white throne. Boy, that's a tongue twister sometimes. Okay? So it says, and we'll finish up here. It says, wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, he's preaching about Christ. He's preaching about the fact that we know we can trust the message of Christ and the person of Christ because his resurrection. He doesn't go into all of the details and prove why he's the Messiah to this group. To this group, he goes straight to the resurrection of Christ. People have a very difficult time arguing with the resurrection of Christ. How do you know if somebody's, if Jesus' claims to God were true? Well, he rose from the dead. His claims are true because he rose from the dead and he was seen. It's one, hey, it's one thing for the tomb to be empty. It's another thing for the person whose body is supposed to be in the tomb to be out walking around for 40 days and talking to people. Occasionally, sometimes, perhaps, uh, people will go and they'll try to exhume a body and they're like, oh man, the body's gone. Like the casket's gone. We don't know. Maybe they buried him in the wrong spot. We don't know what's going on here. It's another thing for that person to be up and walking around town. I saw him on the subway. Oh no, that's just a rumor. No, 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 no. I, here, I saw him. We saw him. We spoke to him. He ate food. 40 days walking around. Oh, uh, you know what, pastor? I don't know. They just, listen, proclaim the resurrection. Proclaim the resurrection. Jesus loves you. How do we know that? Because he died. Well, how do we know that this message can be trusted? Because of the resurrection of Christ. Now here's the last piece. Verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. It's going to happen. Accept that. In proclaiming the gospel, some people are going to mock. It doesn't, hey, just because they're mocking with their mouth doesn't mean that, it, that it's not sinking into their brain. Doesn't mean that God's not working on their heart. Okay? Some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Three groups of people we see here. Some mocked. Some said, we want to hear this again. We want to go further. We want to dig in a little bit further. Verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Proclaim the gospel. In this story of proclaiming the gospel, we can see where Paul brought a different approach to different people, but always arrived at the gospel with them. We need to learn how to do that. God has specifically equipped some of you to be able to do that in a particular language or from your cultural background, maybe from your educational background. In other, and in other ways, we need to study and learn how to do that for certain people in our life. We need to accept the fact that some people are going to mock. They're not going to believe. Others want to hear more, even though they may not vocally say that. But guys, listen, here's the thing. When the gospel is proclaimed, some are going to believe. Some are going to believe. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.